Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you serious? So hello, it's Marcus Bronzy here from How to Kill an Hour. And we're going to take a, a little deflection from our usual course of, of banter-packed showage with, with another presenter. I've got a special guest in here today. I'd like you to introduce yourself to our listeners, please. Hi, um, my name is Adam Simmons. I'm the VP of Content and Marketing at Level Up Media, which is a esports and gaming video platform. Awesome. And I, and I do want to talk about the esports and gaming video platform, but I want to know a little bit more about the man Adam himself. Because <laughs> you've got quite an interesting history in esports. But before that, there's uh, another sporting story, and I'd, I'd love to hear about that. So esports has always been a passion of mine. I've been a big gamer all my life. Um, mm. Before before I went kind of full time with that, I also had a traditional sporting career as well. Yeah. So I've competed at a national level in wheelchair basketball, mm-hmm. um, but also more, more recently I was on the Paralympic GB kayaking squad, and I've competed at World Championships there. So I've seen the the professional sports side of things in traditional sports and, and competed at a, a high level there and also the esports side of things and and how those two are coming together and mm. how they differ okay with the sports side of things because you've you've played a couple of professional sports like professional basketball for for great britain and also kayaking is there a difference in the type of competitiveness because i feel like some sports are more gentlemanly than others i feel <laughs> like basketball is a bit like hand, hands in a circle and kayaking's a bit like May the best man win. Is, is there a difference in competition? I think the difference is depending on what kind of sport it is. So yeah. something like basketball, it's, it's even though it's a non-contact sport, you're still directly competing against each other. You're there, you're fighting for the ball, you've got the offense, defense and all that sort of stuff. In kayaking, it's it's almost like a time trial in a sense that even though you're racing other people, you're all in your same lane, you're all just going as fast as you can. Nothing anyone else can do can influence how you're going. And that's where you get the bit of a difference because in basketball, in football, in anything like that, you have someone who's actively trying to stop you or mm-hmm. you're actively trying to stop someone else doing something. So you have that... Ag- not not aggressive but you have that confrontational side of things but in in a sport like kayaking you obviously just have a a straight race it's all down to you whoever's quickest wins so it's a bit more um yeah a bit more gentlemanly <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i bet i bet and how did you transition from physical sports into a world of esports so originally i was always into gaming so um myself i've got a condition called brittle bones yeah. so I've always been involved in, in gaming. I've spent a lot of time in hospital as a kid sort of thing. So I spent hours playing games. It was really just a great opportunity. Gaming as a whole is an incredibly inclusive thing. I could play against my friends on on Call of Duty, on FIFA and stuff like that. 
and it'd be a completely level playing field, whereas traditional sports, playing football on the playground wasn't something I could do. So spent a lot of time doing that. I practiced quite a bit. Um, when I had broken bones and stuff, I obviously had a bit more time to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got quite good at it. And then that combined with kind of traditional sports, um, it, it was a natural thing because I was competitive in gaming. Um I got involved in wheelchair basketball at quite a young age, really got involved with that, enjoyed it. I'm, I'm quite athletic and sporting anyway. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between the two. So even though traditional sports was, was kind of my focus at first, I was, I was doing kind of gaming and content creation around that on the side as um, th- they balance quite nicely. A lot of my sports training was during the day. A lot of gaming and esports, especially when you're doing content or you're live streaming and things like that, the audience is there in the evenings. So <laughs> it was during the day I was out on lakes kayaking in the evening. I was producing and making content. Um, so fitted, the schedules fitted quite nicely together. Um, and then over over time, I kind of transitioned more into the esports side as as I was wrapping up my kind of sporting career, so to speak, um, doing more and more there. Started working for Level Up. Um, I joined Level Up before they were even even launched. So I joined about six months before we launched our first site. And I've really grown alongside the company with the team um, to get to where we are today. So it's quite a natural transition. I've also had the benefit of being able to see the, the esports industry as a whole grow. And it comes as a surprise to many people that esports, they look at it and go, Ah, oh, this is this new thing. It's this new big thing. They forget that there's been competitive gaming since the dawn of time. People, <laughs> there are big competitions of who could be the best at Donkey Kong and stuff. Who could get the high scores in the arcade? More recently, if you go back into the '90s in Korea, especially the game StarCraft was by many seen as kind of the birth of modern day esports. It's a big, big competitive scene and still is today. So a lot of those things that you see drive people in traditional sports, drive people in esports as well. They want to be the best. They want to compete. There's that competitive nature. And really the the way that scene's growing is incredibly interesting because you can compare it in a lot of ways to how elite level sport has grown as well. Mm. If you go back in uh, a couple of generations, Olympic level sport was very much you just train for as many hours as you can you just keep doing it and then you'll be the best at it whereas today there's so much sports science involved sports psychology the holistic approach to lifestyle all of these sort of things which looking at when i was with the kayaking team that was all part and parcel in esports that was still decades behind whereas in just a couple of years the big teams and everything have really caught up with that you start having things like personal trainers um just to keep them all fit and healthy you have more structured sessions you have review sessions you have coaches you have team managers you've got um psychologists working with them and it all makes sense because Seriously? like actual that i only thought i only thought that would be in like sports sorry to be ignorant but actual yeah. psychologists are there saying right yeah this is so in in esports now the big teams are starting to bring that in yeah. and it's because there's there's so many similarities so to put in perspective a couple of weeks ago there was one of the biggest esports tournaments each year it's called the international it's for a game called dota 2 and there was 20 million plus dollars prize money on the line the winning team each it's a five plus player game um so you have five people on each team each member of the winning team took home just over two million dollars each and if you think these people are kind of in their their late teens early 20s and they're about to play a game to potentially make themselves a millionaire. If you compare that to the the psychological stress that traditional sports people have, when when I was seeing on the line of the World Championships kayaking, you have the same thoughts going through your head of seeing they're going, what if I don't win? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? This could define 
not just this race, not just this competition, but it could have a knock-on effect for years, if not decades of my life. life. Yeah. And so these these teenagers and playing in the international, playing in Dota 2, they're sitting there about to compete for millions of dollars. That's a lot of pressure to put on anyone. And so the psychology approach that you see in traditional sports is definitely coming into esports to help them deal with that. Wow. I'm, I, the first thing that came to my head is is because there's been a bit of scandal in the MMA at the moment about juicing. How long until cognitive enhancers, aka mind steroids, are going to start coming into the mix? That's a serious consideration. It is. And it's something which is actually um, relatively in focus at the moment, especially at the bigger events, because just in the last few years, the prize monies on the, on the line have absolutely skyrocketed. Yeah. So when we started Ding It, um, we launched in early 2015. We, we were initially a live platform and we were running events every week for a couple of thousand dollars. Now I guess some of the best teams in the world playing every single week. And now you just couldn't even get tier three teams for that money because they're paying for a quarter of a million, half a million, million dollar prize pools on a regular basis. So that naturally leads just in sports. This is big money on the line now. And therefore the performance enhancing medication is obviously something which is in the sphere of awareness. So the World Anti-Doping Association, I believe it was last year, um, got involved with ESL um, to help them at their events because it's not your traditional steroids. Having big biceps doesn't really help you that much um, <laughs> uh, playing League of Legends. But big thumbs is good if you're playing a fighting game, yeah, I must thumbs, say. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that works, yeah. <laughs> but things, um, basically cognitive enhancement, so yeah. ADHD medication and things like that, are potentially able to be abused. Now, it's not something that's too massive yet, but certainly something that the the responsible parts of the industry are aware of, just in the same way as things like having psychiatrists, uh, psychologists rather for the team and for the players, having career coaches and those sort of things to make sure that the players are looked after. It's not only in terms of their financial or, or health at the time, but also to make sure the integrity of the sport is being kept in place. Okay, I do want to talk about Ding It TV in a second, but if esports has got pretty much every element that people would say, you know, reg- regular sports, for want of a better set of words, has the same elements. And, you know, as a, somebody who's performed on an Olympic level, Paralympic level, what would, how, what, what, how do you feel about the conversation about esports being introduced into an Olympic? So I think it's a really interesting one. And I think there's, there's kind of two chains of thought. On, on the first, there's a lot of similarities between professional gaming and many other sports. So, yeah, you're not running 100 metres, but there's still a physical element. There's muscle memory, there's focus, there's multitasking, attention span, strategy, which if you look at some sports that are in the Olympics, that, that already applies. Now, there's there's also the difficulty, though, from the structure of the Olympic cycle. So with, with traditional sports and, and using kayaking as my example, you get a change made and that mm. change will be locked in pretty much for the entire four years until the next Games. And then depending on the outcomes there, they make make little changes. So a really good example of those changes was the Beijing Olympics. In swimming, there were loads of world records because all the swimmers were wearing those fancy, basically magical swimsuit things that made them go super quick. They were the then banned. Skins. Yeah, the dolphin skins and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, they, were, they were banned. Right. And so subsequently, for the next four years, people couldn't use those. They weren't banned previously. And then you had four years locked in where everyone was going the same way. In esports... A four-year cycle would be very challenging. The main reason being because these games, they're not just a professional sport. They're, the developers are actively in, increasing the, what's involved. They're actively patching it, making changes, additions. So 
in looking at a game like Counter-Strike or say League of Legends, you have changes made every couple of months. They add a new champion, they add a new rule, they, they tweak some numbers here and there to try and keep the game balanced. That isn't necessarily that um, beneficial in an Olympic cycle because you could suddenly have people who are very good become not very good if they were focused on a certain discipline. Right. So it'd be, it'd be like um, taking Javelin, for example. The, the rules of throwing Javelins changing every couple of months, that right. suddenly we're going to make it an extra meter longer or a kilogram heavier, half gram lighter, all of these sort of rule changes, which in an Olympic structure of a four-year cycle isn't necessarily okay. that conducive. On the how, flip, do we, how do we solve that problem? So I th I'm not necessarily sure it's a problem that needs to be solved. Okay. Um, having esports involved in the Olympics, I think it's, it's good that it's considered a sport in many ways and it's getting a lot more mainstream attention and acceptance. But equally, not every sport is an Olympic event. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be at the Olympics. There's plenty of sports um, that aren't included. So from my experience in kayaking, I actually competed in two disciplines. One was a, a kayak, which is where you have a paddle on both sides. Or so you have a blade on each side of the paddle, use both arms, go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other event I did was a boat called a VAR, which is a canoe with a, an outrigger on it. And you have basically one, one blade on the paddle and you, you paddle on one side. The VAR race wasn't an Olympic event. It was still right. done in canoeing at the World Championships and Europeans, but it wasn't part of the Olympic program. Right. It was still just as much of a sport. Personally, I found it way harder than kayaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't discredit that valid, uh, validity as a, a sporting event, but it doesn't necessarily have to be involved in the Olympics. I might upset some Olympians, though, because I feel like that we do need a refresh. When I'm watching the Olympics, there's certain sports which I feel like esports would eclipse in terms of excitement. I mean, for example, sorry to all my curlers that are listening <laughs> right now. People sweeping ice and playing that game is not very exciting for me. I would put any esports over that, even if it's a game I particularly wasn't interested in. Just the excitement factor, I think that would bring a bigger audience, that would bring more viewers, that would bring a younger age group, you know, being interested in, in, in the Olympics. Do you, do you agree that, that there's certain games that would just bring excitement? Yeah, and I think lots of esports are hugely exciting. The production values around them now, the commentators, the storylines, the teams, they're all building things that make you love sport. And I'm, I'm, I'm relatively young still, I like, I like to hope. But if you, if you look at the conversations I often have with, especially my grandparents, for example, they sit there and they're like, what's this video gaming thing? People actually, <laughs> people actually watch other people play video games and yeah. they don't get it. But that's because they're simplifying it. If you simplify football, it's watching 22 men kick a ball around for 90 minutes. Right. If I explain it like that, that doesn't sound particularly exciting. Yeah. But obviously it is. Billions of people love it. There's all the storylines, the excitement, the, the anticipation, all of the stuff around it. And esports is exactly the same. Mm. And you get lots of people and you, you show people who've never been engaged in gaming or particularly interested in it. And once they've watched a major event, they start getting it. They start getting involved. They, they hear the commentators. They hear the building. They might not completely understand it all. But when I watch judo at the Olympics, I still don't know the rules. But I don't know what's going on. People I'm, are getting points all the time. They're like, great move. I'm like, okay thrown on the floor sometimes thrown i'm like i'm sometimes like they've won and then they're yeah. like no that didn't count yeah, like, think, what? yeah. <laughs> i'm like what is that that, that was illegal because yeah. like, they grabbed them on this part of the clothing instead of the other um so th it's great like because you you've kind of really brought home how and why esports is interesting so how does ding it tv fit into this what, what is ding it tv so ding it tvs are flagship site at level up so first and foremost we're a technology company right. we we developed some tech which is an end-to-end -end solution for video distribution. 
it's really not that interesting for probably a lot of people listening, but basically it's more efficient and, and works better than other systems. Um, additionally, we, we have some advertising tech to, to help monetize that audience. But fundamentally, when we launched, we looked at, okay, what's a really exciting market to get into? Where What kind of content can we deal with? What kind of audiences can we engage with that are rapidly growing in esports fit the bill perfectly so what we do is we work only in premium content so that's stuff that every every single bit of content that goes onto our platform is reviewed by a member of our team to make sure that it's entertaining make sure that it's high quality make sure the viewers are going to love it and also importantly making sure that it's brand safe for advertisers um and that's kind of our, our core. The other thing is we only work with on-demand content now. So we work specifically with short form, kind of two, three minute long clips that are the highlights and the best moments. And what that allows us to do is really access more of the wider gaming demographic rather than just the enthusiasts. So again, linking it to traditional sports, you've got the audience that will go live to a stadium to watch a game. You've mm-hmm. got the people who will subscribe to satellite TV sports packages mm-hmm. and watch all the games. Mm-hmm. You've got people who will watch match of the day. That's kind of like your long form. And then you've got people who will just see the highlights from the end of the national news or mm-hmm. on Facebook or something like that. We cater to that highlight audience, which right. is really big. They just want to get the best bits, see the best moments, get the exciting get the exciting tap-in bits. Okay, so you, you want you want the bangers of the goals, the exactly. headshots by snipers from a thousand yeah. metres, that sort of stuff. The best moments, the montages of kind of the pros doing incredible yeah. things, but also the funny moments, the fails, <laughs> the times when things don't go quite right. Yeah. Um, and really we're catering to that. We're, we're, Dingit is really focused on kind of the enthusiast and competitive gaming audience, yeah. but we're also launching additional sites. So uh, later in September... We're going to be launching the Gamer, which is catering more to your mainstream console gamers, the AAA titles, the kind of quick how-tos, the reviews, the guides, still short form, still premium. And then later in the year, we've got plans to launch a site called Go Gamer, which will be catering to mobile gaming and also family-friendly gaming. Right. And really the ethos there is, while there's a lot of buzz around esports, it is a segment of the overall gaming market. So depending on which report you see, it's, a, it's kind of three, 400 million esports fans in the world but there's 1.2 billion gamers in the world. And that includes everyone from your, your young relatives who are watching Minecraft videos all the way through to competitive people watching Counter-Strike games mm. for thousands of dollars, but also all the way through to your mum who plays Farmville on Facebook. Yeah. Mum, the- stop sending me those requests, please. I'm not playing <laughs> that game, mum. Uh, there, there's so many of them as so well, many. isn't it? So there's so many secret farmers I didn't know about. I know there's so many people on Facebook, and they're, they're like they're like out in the clubs, popping bottles, listening to music, <laughs> and then on Sunday, farmville request. I'm like, okay, cool. The thing is, if being a big gamer, there's a lot of zombie games, so all these farmers better be learning real life skills <laughs> in the event of the apocalypse, because we're going to need them. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen uh, most definitely. So just to confirm, as a as Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Me, I would go to Ding It TV if I want to see what was popping in, in the gaming world, and I'm gonna be it's gonna be guaranteed that what I see is content that is interesting and fun because while there's loads of places for me to get interesting and fun content on the internet, other websites, I am not guaranteed that everything I see is going to be sort of checked over to see if it's cool. Like, you know, we've all done it surfing on in the internet, you know, on YouTube, something's good there. Something's good. Oh, that's a rubbish video. Because you've got the element where somebody's going through and saying, we're only going to put exciting content on there. You're pretty much guaranteed a buzz every video exactly. that you check out. And it's, it's the curation approach. So yeah. our library is very much about quality over quantity. Yeah. So... Um, if you if you look at other other sites that service gaming, you've got things like Twitch TV that's yeah. predominantly about live streaming, and people stream for hours and hours. They'll watch it. You get that great community element, but they also have loads of streamers who only have one or two viewers, mm. and so anyone can go live. It's very user generated, just like YouTube. Yeah. YouTube, there's a really cool stat um, from last summer where they had 300 hours of video uploaded every minute. And if you just think of that, there's there's a huge amount of stuff there, which, um, no offense to the people uploading those videos, probably not the, the highest quality. And that's only increasing because I, I look back to when I started in gaming um, and when I started doing content creation. If you wanted to put up a live stream at even like 720p resolution, you needed a beast of a desktop PC, you needed top of the line internet, and even then it would only just work. Mm. Nowadays anyone with a smartphone can go live on Facebook. So mm. the the content creators and people who are able to make content is exploding. And that pyramid of quality, it's not getting bigger at the top. It's the barrier to entry is dropping. So you have lots of people who are who are putting up video content, which isn't for everyone. Prime example, going, going back to our, our lovely elderly relatives, um, they quite often like to live stream their dog walks. Oh, man. And I, I'm sure their dog's having a great time, but not many people tune in to I that. Not, I would not watch that. <laughs> I would not watch that. I say, a, a pyramid's a very interesting way of putting it. I've not thought of it like that. And you're saying the pyramid's getting bigger at the bottom. And I feel like websites like yours will help me kind of only watch the top of the pyramid. Exactly. If that's what I want. I mean, no offense. If you want to watch videos of dog walking, do your thing. But I'd rather watch the highlights of the, of the world. And you mentioned there's the game, Gamer TV. So that's going to be more... Triple A titles, you said console gaming, and yep. then what's the app version as the the, the app so version? Go Gamer is Go our, Gamer. our plan for the third side, which will be later on in the year, okay. um, and that's for your mobile games, right. but also family friendly. So okay. the ethos there is, it's very easy to bundle gaming and gamers yeah. just as one big group, exactly. people who like games. But in our mind, that's the same as kind of going, oh, there's people who like sports or people who like music. Yeah, then all the same. Not everyone who likes music likes rock, mm. pop rap it, there's different genres they yeah. they listen to it for different reasons some people listen to it because they're down in the club some people want to relax while they're working mm. and we view it the very same with gamers someone who's watching a minecraft creative let's play video is 
not necessarily the same person who's watching the final of a quarter of a million dollar Counter-Strike tournament. Mm -hmm. Not only because the content is different, the reasons for watching are different and how that audience engages with the content is different. And so by having different destinations that cater to different groups, we hope to be more inclusive of the the overall reasons people are watching. And a, a real prime example of that is with GoGamer, when we're looking for it to be family friendly, obviously it, it doesn't take many clips on on some video services to go from a a very appropriate Minecraft video to a not so appropriate video for, for younger audiences. <laughs> so it's, it's really catering to what's there and making sure that they're finding stuff that's not only what they want to find, but it's mm. suitable for those audiences. And then the other side to it is something that's been very apparent um, earlier in the year around brand safety for advertisers. So all of our all of our content's ad funded. We we only do pre-roll video ads against our content. But the main thing is is really making sure that content's premium, not only for our viewers, but also for our advertising partners. Um, won't go into huge details, but as we all know, in a user-generated environment where anyone can upload anything, there's stories every week of videos that really shouldn't have been distributed far and wide going out and that can be everything from quite extremist content to very inappropriate content or very offensive content yeah people with massive audiences can just i mean let's be honest pewdiepie got in a bit of trouble yeah he was very i know he did swear a bit in that but he's very user-friendly you'd say and then he just came out with some content that had the world's head spinning going what the fuck do you know what i mean so um that's very very interesting so what does that mean for me as a content creator, if I'm working with Dingit TV, what does that mean for me in terms of advertising revenue? So what we do, because we, one, we have the tech to distribute it very efficiently, but yeah. also the ad tech to monetize it efficiently. It's a premium environment, so we're working with fewer people. And what we do with content creators is we actually license the content. So one of the difficulties um, of being a content creator is if you're on a revenue share basis, you, there's loads of factors that are outside of your control, how much the ads sell for, how many how many ads fill, all of these sort of things. As a creator, you just want to make the best content. And so that's what we really look for, is who's making the best stuff. Let's give them a license fee um, to get that content onto our platform. And the other bits of monetizing it well and making sure that we're getting the value out of it that we, we know that content has, that's mm. our job. It's not the creator's job. The creator's job is to be able to focus on making great stuff. Mm. Also, because it's a license fee, they have a regular stable income with a revenue share. One month you could get a hundred thousand views and make a hundred dollars. The next month you could get a hundred and fifty thousand views, but only make eighty dollars. From our side, on the business side, we know all the varying factors that could cause that to happen. But as a creator, it's very frustrating because you don't know how much money you're going to get. You don't. Know, there's so many things that are unknown to you. It's wild west out there, it really is. Exactly. So by working with premium creators, working on a license basis with them, it gives them the stability to know that they have this revenue coming in. They can plan around it. They can reinvest into their content. And really, our, our aim is to build a sustainable system and help build the entire system up and the entire industry up so that they're able to reinvest, make better content, and in turn, engage and, and get more audience involved with a passion that we all have. Okay. It, it, would you say that would be your ideal sort of ding it user then, or, or, or creator, content creator, somebody who ticks those boxes? Yeah, so our, our main creators tend to be, it, they come into two boxes. So we have um, what we consider our, our premium partners. Right. So that's the professional esports teams, the tournaments, the leagues, professional creators so the, the big the big channels and things mm. like that then we also have what we call the contributor network now what we have there is we run a weekly competition where the best gaming video submitted to us each week will win $200 and we've run that for over a year now we've had hundreds of thousands of entries 
And it's really just a way for people who maybe aren't a, a full-time creator, but to get some exposure, potentially win a good prize. And we also use a bit of an audition tool as a great way to find people who maybe have this great talent, but find it difficult to surface on other platforms where there's just such huge competition due to the amount of content on there. Great stuff. Great stuff. And I feel like that would make a really good show, actually, like a highlight reel of the best the best bits. Have you, have you, what's your take on Ding It TV and, and Game TV and those channels? What what do you feel about them doing actual live shows and moving forward in that direction? Because I know that there are you you cover people that do big events, you work with people that do big events. What's the sort of plan with that? Do you think that's a possibility? So when we originally launched, we were only live, right. so that was that was the plan. Um, we we did live for quite a while, and we we saw quite a few opportunities there, but there was also a lot of challenges. Live, we all know the dangers of working with animals, kids, or on live TV. <laughs> um, so it's it's one of those things where that there's unique challenges there also from the monetization side there's some unique challenges there yeah. and and there's also in the gaming industry especially twitch tv for example are a major player there they do an incredible job uh, and they service their creators and their audiences in a very effective way mm. and we really took a look and said okay well what are we offering beyond that we do have premium only content but actually we we then launch highlights um, alongside live as a way just for people to catch up and now rather than the normal of just saying let's take the live stream and just make it available on demand afterwards we kind of took a step back and said well who would be watching these videos after it was live if it was someone who wanted to watch the entire thing they probably would have just watched the entire thing so it's actually people who want to catch up they just want to see the best moment so we decided to launch it just as highlights and then what we just saw was explosive growth. Right. It, the way we could promote it, the way we could get more audiences in, but also outside of the traditional audiences as well. We had people who were just casually involved in esports or were interested in it or wanted to catch up. They didn't want to watch six hours of a live event. They started coming in and we saw just massive growth there. And so we're obviously reinvested into it a lot more. Our technology was working really well there. Our ad partners were getting a lot of success there as well. And it was about this time last year that we decided to completely cut out live and just focus on VOD. And the advantage that really gives us is that we're, we're adding value. And that's something that's important to us as well. We want to help our creators, our partners and our audiences to get something they can't get elsewhere. So somewhere like Twitch is live. All of our partners we work with live stream on Twitch. It's a way to engage with their viewers and they get a lot of benefit from it. They put long form content on YouTube. They get great discussions on it. It's a great way to have kind of your, your 20, 30 minute videos. And what we look to do was focus on that highlight reel. Those those quick two, three minute clips, which go out to a wider audience. They're bite sized. They're very digestible and they have a very low barrier for people to get involved and really access it. And I look at it much in the same way as you have with photo sharing or something like that there's multiple places that influencers and creators share and engage with their audience there's instagram there's facebook there's twitter there's snapchat they don't pick one each platform has its own way of working and its own way to engage with your audience and its own benefits the sort of things that even even the biggest celebrities will share on snapchat it's a different type of photo or video than what mm. they'll be sharing on instagram mm. and that audience yeah, there's some overlap, but there's also new audiences that will only engage with one or the other. Twitter's different to Facebook. And that's really where we wanted to sit. We wanted to be able to complement the other services that our creators and partners and viewers are using and give them a way to access new, new audiences and new demographics that they aren't doing so at the moment. Excellent. And you can check that all out at Ding. 
Dingit.tv. TV, right? yep. And game, the new website is the new, well? uh, new website will be thegamer.tv. The gamer. um, TV. That's launching by the end of September. All right. And there was a third one that you mentioned. Yeah, so GoGamer. GoGamer.tv as well. Okay. That'll be launching uh, probably by the end of the year. Great stuff. And you're someone who's got great knowledge of this. So this is a great question to ask someone like yourself. Like, What, what do you think the future of, of esports holds in terms of not just... Uh, I think the general consensus is it's going to get bigger, but in what direction, what sort of shape and form do you see over the next sort of five to 10 years? So just in the same way, the barrier to entry for content creators is dropping, the barrier to entry to esports is dropping. So going back to the the early 90s in South Korea, where StarCraft was absolutely huge, people were still tuning in. They were mainly listening to podcasts of the event. They weren't live streams because no one's internet could handle watching that. So you've had a technology boom home consoles have exploded as well i i even look back to back to when i was in in early school sort of thing i played loads of games and you'd have a couple of friends you play with but it'd never be like oh matt do you want to come do you want to come around after school and we can play video games all night it'd be kind of a bit of a odd thing to suggest mm. whereas now i look at younger relatives who are 12 13 and they're all watching minecraft videos they're all saying oh let's go play some fifa or something like that it's become a lot more culturally acceptable and mm. also socially normal to to engage in video games and that's only expanding mobile phones was another big moment where smartphones suddenly opened up gaming outside of your norm um even in esports the the general demographic is really interesting is if you ask someone who, who doesn't know much about the space picture your picture someone who's an esports fan a big gamer and i i know from experience that the, the image they've got in their head is um, someone who's who's not the most active. They're they're living in their parents' basement, drinking Red Bull and whatever else. But that's not the demographic. That all the research and data um, shows that the average gaming fan is kind of your your eighteen to thirty five year old. They're college educated or university educated for people in the UK, and they are in STEM fields. They're high earners. They're high disposable income. So as a group, they're they're very active they're mm. employed they're homeowners they are engaged in sporting activity and other competition as well and that's an overlap which the general stereotypes around the gaming audience wouldn't necessarily be there was an interesting piece as well from yuki um, which is the uk interactive entertainment organization uh, a couple of months ago where their research in the uk found the average gamer in the uk is a 41 year old woman there you go. And that's when you factor in things like mobile games, your candy crushes, your consoles, mm-hmm. all of these other things, which is very different to what maybe if you go back even 10 years, what people thought the average gamer was. So in okay. terms of esports and how this is going to just keep growing is you've got your traditional esports, the hardcore games like your League of Legends, Dota, Counter-Strike and things like that. But we're seeing second wave now where there's competitive games around FIFA, NBA, the traditional sports titles. You've got over in the States, um, the Philadelphia 76ers last year purchased a big esports team, Team Dignitas. Um, And it's a big part of their strategy is evolving into esports there. There's been various football clubs in Europe who've invested into esports teams. The NBA is doing a lot. Um, So just across the board, traditional sports are getting more engaged in esports because they see it's a way to access new audiences and also expand their the way they engage with those audiences as well and that's really exciting and i think it's going to it's going to continue um, another really good example um not quite as mainstream but the game hearthstone it's a mm. card game by blizzard and they launched it as a bit of a pet product but because of the the format of the game it works on mobile so lots and lots of people play it on their phones and things like that mm. and that's quite a competitive title mm-hmm. so already opening up 
games which to, to audiences that they wouldn't necessarily access and what we aim to do as a company is also create gaming video content and, and distribute gaming video content to audiences that maybe haven't already accessed it great that's awesome that's awesome i, I want to know what you're playing at the moment as well when you get a bit of time i know you're a busy guy uh when you, when you get a bit of a, a second where would you like to play so i've i've changed a lot i i used to play starcraft 2 really really quite hardcore um Back at back in the days before real life hits too hard, um, I don't have <laughs> enough time. I'm I'm unfortunately my my time is for gaming is usually spent hating myself because it's it's like riding a bike or any like a sport. If if you haven't trained for a while, and by a while I mean weeks to months, you and then you get back in. You know what you meant to be doing, but your body just doesn't want to doesn't yeah. want to do it. So you you know how bad you are. So I've, I've started playing um, some more games that are more basically single player game sort yeah. of thing but recently player unknown battlegrounds right. that's a uh and i say an indie game it was a small studio launched it um it was in alpha and is still in alpha stage yeah. but they released it to the public and that's um recently become the most played game on steam which is a digital marketplace for pc games by far microsoft bought the exclusive rights for it on content uh, for, on console for xbox and the last I saw, they raised something like they've already sold a hundred million dollars worth of copies of this game, wow. and that's one of these success stories where gaming not only is it's not only limited to the big AAA titles. And I've been playing a lot of that. It's a great game. What's it, what's it's, it about? Basically, it's a imagine Hunger Games yeah. but with guns. Oh yes. So you just get dropped in the middle of this big island. You have to find anything, and a hundred other people, and the last person alive wins. That sounds so sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there's loads of video content around it i suggest yeah. watching it i i was late to the party because i just hadn't yeah. had time to to give it a go and i got slightly addicted to it because god it's stressful it's mm. it's not like your call of duty where you run around and respawn you have one life per game oh. and you've got to be the last last person and so you're there like hiding in buildings hoping you're not going to find anyone else and it's oh it's stressful but good, it's good practice fun. for the zombie apocalypse exactly great practice um, well, thank you very much for spending some time uh, talking about Ding It TV and everything else that's going on around it, and just basically about esports because I feel like there's a lot of people that generically are like, oh yeah, it's a great thing, but you've managed to kind of uncover the whys and wheres and hows, and I feel much more informed. I'm sure our listener feels much more informed about what's going on in the world. And make sure you check out Ding It TV. It's a uh, it's a great platform. Who knows how to kill it now? Might have some stuff on there soon if we keep our F's and Jeffs to a minimum. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate. it If people want to find out more about you and what you do, where can we find more of you, Adam? Uh, best place is probably on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I still keep my old gaming content creator ongoing uh, at Maddles Nine One. Cool at Maddles Nine One. Make sure you check it out. Uh, this has been How to Kill an Hour. As usual, there's plenty of ways. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. To kill some time out there. Thank you for killing some time with us. Thank Cheers. you very much. 